Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Anything But Typical podcast. And we are really happy to have another amazing entrepreneur on here who has Charlotte roots and is also in Denver, Colorado. And so uh, Dana Jacoby, we, we look forward to getting into your uh, story. But here's the scenario. You are back in Davidson, North Carolina, visiting your family. You're out to dinner at Kindred, one of our favorite restaurants as well. And uh, somebody sees you and they are talking about you, but they didn't realize that you are close enough to hear with your bionic ears. And so um, <laughs> they are saying, they're talking about you. What is it that you would like them to say about you, Dana? You know, if it's, it's kind of interesting for, for me personally, Gary, it would be that, you know, that really, that there's an authentic side to everything that I've done throughout, uh, kind of throughout my life when it comes to helping others or giving back. That's just a big part of the cloth of the way I, I show up and who I am when it comes to, you know, just kind of who I am professionally, which is how, how some of the folks on your podcast know me. It really is that I've gotten in and, and helped either with my business or myself to help really create better systems and architecture to really help people and companies evolve to their highest self. And so it's been just kind of the whole time, everything is about giving back, but it just depends on how it shows up. And uh, that would just make me very happy if I were sitting at Kindred and with, it would also make me happy to have bionic ears, by the way, that would, <laughs> that would be very dangerous, a very dangerous thing to have. But uh, no, it's all about being a change agent, but a change agent, a change agent for the higher good. And yeah. so that really, I think, is just a really big part of, uh, of what a lot of folks, I think, either would say or I hope they would say. So. Well, that's true. And, um, you know, the little that I've known you, but also vicariously through other mutual friends and then finding out about how you've been giving back to them where you never told me about it, but they told me about it. And the impact that you've had on their lives has been tremendous. So I look forward to getting mm -hmm. into more of that because that's why you're on this podcast. <laughs> so yeah, Ben, and that's the, that's the most meaningful way to learn about somebody anyway, right? When you get to hear from somebody else's experiences versus directly from the person. So, so that, uh, that speaks volumes, no, Daniel. Um, okay, so that. let's let everybody get a quick snippet of your background and then we can jump right in. So uh, Dana is the CEO currently of Vector Medical Group and has a vast background of, of business experience that we're going to jump into. And she's also a published author and international keynote speaker. So I want to go back and figure out uh, really what was the draw to the healthcare industry? Because especially you've got the undergrad degree in political science. It's, I want to see what was that appeal to get you to where the, the industry you're in now. Yeah, Ben, it found me more than I found it. Um, I, so my mom's whole side of the family is medical. My mom was a physical therapist. Uh, my grandfather was a doctor. My dad's whole side of the family was small business owners and engineers. So between the two, I think I was destined to create better processes in healthcare. That just was part of my, my deal. But I didn't know that's where I was headed. Uh, in school, we, I grew up in Louisiana and was very much, it was a very political and politically oriented state. We had very larger than life politicians. And early on the poli-sci degree was, I thought I was heading towards law school or gonna do something in government to make a difference. And um, 
honestly, it's a long story, but I ended up getting a job with Johnson and Johnson. Uh, mainly it was a, the second job out of school. It wasn't the first. And while I was at that job, I was in ton of sales and consulting with them, but my grandfather developed prostate cancer and I was not in the prostate cancer space. I was, I was doing sales and marketing for drugs for infectious disease and pain management and overactive bladder. But I really, my grandfather was uh, chief systems engineer for Lockheed Martin. So he was wow. the guy when they launched the space shuttles back in the day, they would handcuff the plans from the safe to the launch pad. And here is the most brilliant man I know in the science math field at the time, you know, still, I think he's probably one of the most brilliant men I knew. And he couldn't figure out his diagnosis. And there was something where I just sat back and realized if my grandfather, who was capable and studied and, and worked on the Saturn V and other incredible projects for the Martin Company at the time before it became Lockheed Martin, if he couldn't navigate his own healthcare, that even with my own small amount of knowledge from my world of J&J, &J, I had an obligation to the patient to help them navigate through the healthcare system. And you've got to remember back when that was, I mean, we've evolved obviously a lot, but that was long before all these mergers were taking place. And healthcare, I mean, this was back in the day when you still had a primary care doc and a handful of specialists in your life versus this big kind of conglomeration of what healthcare has become. So um, anyway, that's, that's where it really, started. And the, from that point on, my entire career has been about healthcare and really patient outcomes uh, that took on different forms, depending on what role I was in or what business I was running. But that really is at the end of the day, you know, the joke that, that I always used to say when I was doing a lot, a lot of keynote speaking was my goal was to make sure that Mr. Jones was able to go to his son's wedding and anything I could do to make sure he was around long enough to do that. Uh, was part of the cloth of what kind of built the next step of, of the career. But that's where the healthcare thing came from. It was looking back somewhat inevitable with mom's side and dad's side, but wasn't, I didn't know that's where I was going to land until right. I was kind of in it. Yeah. You were, you were pulled, pulled into it. It's amazing. Absolutely. Um, well, let's keep going with the, the foundation uh, to your story type theme here. Um, what about the desire to go the entrepreneurial route? Where did that come from? Because you just mentioned family being in healthcare and, and, um, and then science and medicine, but where'd the entrepreneurial mindset come from for you? Yeah, my dad was an entrepreneur the majority of my life growing up in Louisiana. Um, it, we went through ebbs and flows though, and I, I, I was able to share this with Gary, I think when I first met him that, you know, we had some of these amazing years as entrepreneurs. And then I also got to see the downside of running a company and what, what that can yeah. look like if it's not I, so successful. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't, uh, it always sounds, you know, really cool and sexy to be an entrepreneur. And then you realize there's a lot more to it than just uh, throwing up a shingle, but that's where it comes from is that side of the business. And then, you know, as you, as you kind of evolve in your career, I think, you know, it depends. You either can kind of stay in larger companies or even middle market companies and figure out a way to get into leadership roles in those organizations, or if you have an entrepreneurial bent and feel like, Hey, there's a better mousetrap out there. There's something where kind of to your point, then it, it calls you. And, uh, you know, I was scared to death when I started my first company. I mean, I wish I could tell you that I just thought, oh, I'll just be successful. I figured I would throw some money in a bank account and fail and go back and work for a big corporation and just got, I did, I failed forward, but I realized very quickly that there's a passion and an energy that creates the next opportunity. And you just have to 
you have to jump, right? You have to jump out of the airplane. And I think the hardest part about entrepreneurial efforts is you start falling out of the airplane and you've got to pull the ripcord <laughs> and then you catch yourself. But mm -hmm. uh, that's where it comes from. It's from my, my dad and, uh, and really just my mom, even though she was not an entrepreneur, she always saw the world through an entrepreneurial lens or create your own success lens. So I really had it from both sides growing up. Yeah. And so first off, side note, I relate very heavily to the seeing the ebbs and flows of entrepreneurship as a child. Um, but yeah. I would, I would assume, cause it has for me, I would assume that that also gave you a different type of perspective going into entrepreneurship, right? You didn't go in thinking this is going to be a breeze. You knew it was going to take hard work and legwork and there's a good chance of failure and, and things like that. Um, Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about how that type of experience of growing up, how that changed your mindset when you did decide to, to take that first entrepreneurial type leap? Yeah, you know, Ben, I think I would have done it earlier had I not had the, I, I hate to use the word fear, but there was a lot of, uh, I was very, there was a lot of trepidation around what an entrepreneur looks like. And, and to your point, it sounds like you have a similar experience from growing up. I mean, we had some really great banner years. And then during my formidable adult years, we, we went through some real financial challenges as, as a kid. And so um, kind of living through that when I, every time I thought about it, even though the energy was there, you know, I'm a hundred percent self-made. It was like, whoa, what, it, what, what if this doesn't work? You know, where's the security in that? And I think I have a real passion for helping younger folks figure out if they do want to be an entrepreneur, how to get there quicker. Uh, just because I think I would have, I would have jumped out of the airplane at an earlier age had I thought that I could do it. Uh, you know, I waited, but, but, but I, the converse of that, right, is you have the experience, you have the expertise, you've gone through training with some big corporations that gave a lot of unique stuff. So I, I think that's it. I think it would have been an earlier thing. And I also would have probably scaled quicker in the business. Uh, there was a lot of nervousness around, whoa, if I hire somebody, <laughs> what, what happens if I don't make this? Now I'm screwing up two people's lives, not just one, you know? <laughs> so I think, I mean, I think there was some, some tentative, uh, risk taking that I probably would have overcome quicker mm -hmm. had I gotten out uh, and not had that fear, but it, it works out for the better too. So, you know, it was a very uh, conservative entrepreneur early on. So not to take you too far down a rabbit hole, but what are some of those, those things that um, you're either telling or the younger entrepreneurs that you're talking to or working with now, or at least if you're giving a, a speech to these people where they're thinking about it, what are some of those things you would tell them? Yeah, I, I mentor a lot of folks, Ben, and the, as a matter of fact, I'll, I'll give you a, a story rather than just a, you know, I had a young lady who was Stories leaving, are great. So. Oh, yeah, right? I had a young lady who was leaving a business or a corporation, and she was starting a business or trying to start a business, and she was kind of side hustling that, looking for a job at the same time, and the more I talked to her, she's very successful, incredible family story, and I said, Danielle, I just, I can feel your passion through our Zoom call. We unfortunately weren't in person because of COVID. But I said, I can feel your passion. You have such clear vision. What is holding you back? And she said, I just feel like I need the security of the business behind me, you know, like I've always had. And I, and I said, you know, 
what people don't realize as entrepreneurs is you can jump out of the plane. I, I hate to use that analogy, but you, you can jump out of the plane and you don't have to make up your salary the first year in order to really make it work. That's Everybody goes through the same thing. Then they think, okay, I have to replace my salary for my business. I have to figure out how I'm going to cover my benefits and all that's important. But there's a lot of other benefits that come from running your own business that you, you know, and you guys know better than anybody, but I mean, you know, you can put certain expenses under your business. You all of a sudden are looked at in a different light as far as your ability to converse with other CEOs. So your networking level sometimes can go up versus being a sales rep at XYZ company. So we wa I walked her through the process and at the end of the day, she said, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, and sure, sure enough, here we are probably eight months later. And mind you, she launched in the middle of COVID. So take that into consideration and she's killing it. She's doing phenomenal and her whole shtick is teaching women how to get executive positions or launch their own businesses. So it all, you know, it all goes down the food chain, right? It, it, she continues to teach the lesson. And I think that's the biggest thing is just the confidence and realizing that there is a scary part of jumping out of that airplane, but you don't have to just all of a sudden be, you know, a multimillionaire year one to be successful. There's a lot of really cool things that come from running a business. Uh, so anyway, I just think there's some really good lessons that you can teach folks. It's different, different world now too. The technology and Zoom and some of the things we have, it's much easier to start a business than it was back in the day. So I want to hit a pause and just an exclamation point <laughs> because you said some some nuggets in here that I thought are really powerful. And it seems like I've experienced it, Ben's experienced, every entrepreneur that I know has experienced it, but the, the fear factor, which is, uh-oh, and, and the traditional, hey, you shouldn't do this because that's irresponsible or whatever. I mean, right. especially in our society where what we think is safe, but the reality is it ain't safe. It's, it's safe until your boss decides you're gone. Totally agree. That's it. And a lot of people don't know that. And you've had big, big company experience. So has Ben, so, so have I. But that's the reality. And a lot of folks, the younger folks that are waking up and realizing that, oh, wow, you know, so your grandfather's at Lockheed Martin forever. And, right. you know, I remember my first day at a Fortune 500, they said, you know, congratulations, welcome. You know, it used to be that, and this was a big bank, uh, it used to be that you could retire here with a gold pocket watch, but those days are gone. This is in 1995. Those days are gone. We need a certain set of skills from you. And as long as you're here, add to your toolbox. We've got tremendous continuing ed, but there are no guarantees. And that was a right. wake up call, <laughs> you know, right. from going from running companies to, okay, my dad thought, oh, great, you're in a Fortune 500 company, super safe. No, right. <laughs> it's not. Totally. But the other thing that you said that I thought was really important, I, it, it calls you. Mm -hmm. And there's this unction and there's this drive that seems to be more than, hmm, I wonder about this. But there's like, I can't help myself. And the only thing that is between you and making that happen is that fear. Right. Agree, Gary. 
A hundred percent. Well, and I think too, you know, obviously I'm speaking from the entrepreneur lens, but even if you're at a big company, I have a lot of respect. I've, you know, I have a lot of colleagues. It's funny. I left the fortune fives, but a lot of my colleagues say they're, they're way up the food chain. And I'm like, wow, Brian's running. What? That's yeah. incredible. But you can also be an entrepreneur in a big company and ha it's, it's the same amount of energy as it is to start your own business. If you're politicking within a big firm. So I think there's a real opportunity to you know, really be an entrepreneur, no matter where you are, it just, you may not call it that, but it's, it's the same thing. But I, I agree with you. I think the fear is here, right? It's yeah. getting that mindset and realizing that no matter what you're going to be successful, it's just, where do you want to plant yourself? And, and where do you feel that you can really make the most difference? Cause that's what it's about ultimately. Did you have anybody for you, like what you've been for the Jimmy Coleman's and Justin LeQEA's, you know, and, and I, I think your assistant calls it your, your nest or something like that. My nest. <laughs> yeah. For Ben's edification, Ben, I, we have, we always, as a matter of fact, I have two young folks and I, 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 but they're working for us this summer. And I always have had interns in the business or people that I'm mentoring. And then to Gary, Gary's point, uh, two of the folks in Charlotte, um, it's a cute story, but I got to know them and just really have had them out to Denver. And it's just been such a rich relationship of, of being able to, to kind of give back and all to say, Hey, let's, let's help. Let's noodle through that contract. Let's noodle through that employment agreement. Um, but the nest comes from every time one flies out, three fly back in. And so <laughs> back in the day, my assistant was like, it's the nest. Um, you know, Gary, to answer your question. And, and again, I think it was just a different time, but we, you know, we were somewhat cut off at 18. I mean, we, that was not, I mean, not in a bad way. My parents just said, you're on your own, you know, yeah. fly out of the nest. And we didn't have the come back to the nest thing. Um, so no, yeah. I think that a lot of that comes from just the desire to help forge the path for other folks, just because, you know, I always joke, I stepped in 18 potholes on the way to the dance. It's like, I would love to protect people and say, Hey, don't step in those two. I've been there, you know, let's, let's, the school of hard knocks is great, but it also was the school of hard knocks. So um, you know, I had folks that I looked up to throughout my career, but I won't say there was any, you know, specific mentor or someone that, and definitely no one that said, Hey, come to Denver and spend the weekend with me and let's talk through your career. That, <laughs> that wasn't, uh, I either didn't find it or I wasn't looking for it or, or it wasn't available. I'm not sure which, but, uh, but you know, by no means does anybody do it themselves. I had a lot of really amazing people in my life. Just, I think that the, the give back that you hear from me is because I didn't have that experience a lot of, in a lot of ways growing up. So I think that's, that's probably why. Interesting. Did, did you long for that? You know, I don't know that I knew to long for that. I mean, I think it was just, I was just really working uh, and trying to kind of get from here to here. You know, I wasn't really thinking about it from, from a perspective of, I, I do think that um, if, if I could give any guidance to folks that what I feel like I could have done better is I was so busy working and so busy trying to kind of, you know, succeed and achieve and do, and do good work. It wasn't just about ringing the bell that I didn't take as much time to network as I probably could have mm. when I was younger in my career. And I think if anything, that's a big lesson of, you know, it was like, oh, I don't know if I have time to go do that. And it was, you know, that's a, in a lot of ways, I think where the good stuff happens. So um, I do a lot more of that now, but I think back, you know, early when I was, you know, Justin or Jimmy's uh, age, and I, I have a lot of respect for the fact that they do a lot of the races and networking. I did a lot of that stuff, but it wasn't, 
it wasn't necessarily with people that, that might be able to network or help me. It was just to, to get exercise. You know? So I think it's really amazing that they do that more than, than I probably did back in the day. So, so another question on the mentoring piece, that's a, a time commitment, right? And you're, you're busy, you've got things going on. So how do you, how do you make that a priority and fit that into your schedule? Cause it has to be an active uh, thing on, on your guys's point to get it consistently in there. Yeah. You know, Ben, I think it's not so, to, I think first it's priorities, right? What do you want to be known for? One of my biggest core values is legacy. Uh, and so to, it's not just about giving back for the sake of giving back, but to, you know, really like having the folks that are working here at Vector this summer, it gives me energy. I mean, I think it's amazing to see the world through their eyes and you know, they come in and they like, I, I just have a young gentleman that's actually in Chicago. He's not in, in Colorado or Charlotte. He's not in Denver or Charlotte, but he's working for me this summer. And I said, Ari, I'm, you know, we're working on some mergers and acquisition stuff, run with the project. And what he's come back with, Ben, one, it's amazing. I mean, just from a moving the business forward. And then two, it's just such a luxury. It gives, it gives the business energy. It gives me energy. Um, on a personal side, you know, I just don't think there's anything cooler than watching someone grow and change based on something that you say, hey, I dealt with that 10 years ago. Before you even think about going that route, let's talk about it. And if you can save them a little bit of time. I, so it's kind of like working out. Everybody says, how do you have time to work out with your busy schedule? One, it's a discipline, but two, it, it gives you leaps and bounds of energy above and beyond your day, right? So it's, it's like, how do you not? <laughs> how do you not give back? How do you not work out? It's, it's more of an obligation, and but also just it's it's really something that that to me takes your energy and your ability to not just serve but also to flourish to the next level. Yeah, uh, makes a lot of sense. That's a good analogy too with the working out piece. Yeah, yeah right. It, it's so it, priority management, not time management. Right. Exactly. No. Exactly. And you know, you know, you you only get to kind of go through the dance once, right? It's if you're not giving back or helping other people on your way to the next step, you know, to me, it's, it's an, it's just part of life. I mean, it, it, whether, and it doesn't, again, similar to entrepreneur versus entrepreneur, it doesn't have to be this formal mentoring program. It's a see one, do one, teach one, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm going to a meeting, grab, you know, one of the folks and say, Hey, what did you think about that? Why don't you cover this part of it? Or, you know, I'm going to sit at a ball game this weekend. Why don't you come sit with me and let's just hang out and talk about your life and what's going on. It doesn't have to be some massive formal endeavor with a classroom or, you know, it, it can be something that's just helping other people lead their lives through a legacy play. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I want to keep going down your journey, I guess, uh, as we lead into being an entrepreneur, what we're some of the things you were able to take from your business development and consulting experiences that led into you running a company? Because I think those can go hand in hand. Totally. Yeah. You know, Ben, I've mentioned the entrepreneur piece. Right. And I, I think that's because that really was, you know, I helped with some development of training programs with different companies. I was with, um, I had the luxury at GE, uh, General Electric, of being on their asset optimization team. And we would go into hospitals and create efficiency models. And there wasn't, it, there wasn't really a playbook. I mean, there was after a while, but we, we made, I mean, we started from scratch and watched how everything in the hospital went around the hospital and created a better mousetrap on how the efficiency models work. So 
there were a lot of things like that. And then my company, the company I worked for right before I launched, um, I was fortunate enough to be a young partner in a, in a consulting firm who had worldwide reach. And so um, the other partners were wanting to stay stateside and wanting to kind of, they were, they were further along in their career. I was the young, the young partner. And so they sent me all over the world to places that there was <laughs> really was no playbook. I mean, I, I was able to help, you know, launch Botox in China and really there, there wasn't a model for what we were doing. So that's what I mean about entrepreneurial skills. If you're, if you're thinking you might want to be an entrepreneur and you're like, how do I go from a big fortune five to Gary's point to hanging my own shingle? There's a lot of stuff in between where you can kind of trial and error your way to that. So I, I was very lucky to have a lot of very different experiences globally. Also, uh, never thought that that was going to be my destiny either. But I kept failing forward and saying yes. So it was like, you know, do you want to go do this? And I'd say, put me in coach. Where's the model? There isn't a model. Cool. Let's go. So you just, you make your own luck. And, but, but a lot of it is being willing to put yourself out there. So by the time I launched the initial business, there were a lot of things that I had learned there were also a lot of deficits. You know, I had never, I had run profit and loss statements, but never as the CEO. I mean, there were a lot of things that I had to also bone up on deficits in the business and either hire for or figure it out. Um, But yeah, a lot of the experience of starting something from scratch or growing a model from inception was already there by the time I jumped. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So you leave the uh, consulting uh, partnership situation, you launch your initial company. What are some of those early pitfalls that you had from running a company? Oh, wow. You know, um, I, I mean, the, the beginning, beginning, I was just nervous. I mean, I, and you took, I took everything, you know, hey, we'll, we'll hire you to go figure out this teeny project and we'll pay you nominal sum of money. And I was like, I'm sure I'll do that. You know, you just kind of take, there was no real, I won't say there was no real branding because I at least had a skill set and I had certain specialties in medicine that I knew, but you take a lot of stuff early on. I think then after you get, you know, your sea legs underneath you and you get a longer in the tooth, you go, that wasn't the best use of my time, you know? Uh, so I think that was the thing. I was also early on, I mean, two airplanes a day and uh was global so there was you know i'd be in beijing then i'd be you know it was it was it was really crazy and then when i when i came domestic only domestic i still was on two airplanes a day so it was uh there was a lot of running around and not a lot of strategy i had i had a really good business plan i mean i i did all the right stuff but i think the fear of uh making it work and figuring out what my true north was it took a little while to figure out who the right customers were, you know, who was going to see the value and also what types of contracts or what types of people I wanted to work with. And I don't know that I had that early on. Um, the other thing I'll say, and this is just one of the things, I think this is true any, anyway, but trust, but verify. There were a lot of deals where I kind of would get into it and, and go, huh, <laughs> that's, we need to we need to back up and, and figure out. So I think it's a you know trust but verify. Always look to the positive of what you can glean out of the project, but make sure that you know make sure that it's the right thing that's going to grow the business, not just you know run you around or or be not strategic towards that end. So um, that would be the biggest thing. In fact, off the top of my head, how did you find? your true north because that is self-discovery for sure (laughs) um 
Yeah, totally. What were some of the things that, you know, you know, if you could, if you could shorten that, which I don't know if you can, but if you could shorten that uh, process, what would you do or say to somebody to help shorten it? You know, Gary, it's funny. I mean, just because this is kind of my third company for all intents and purposes that I just, Vector is, is the third one. Um, one, it's really sitting back and deciding what your core values are. And it's interesting as a founder, especially when the company is small, your core values match a lot of times the core values of the business. So that makes it really clear, right? You're very tight of what you are, you know, or who you are, what you believe in and what your business is known for, right? So for, you know, for us, it's integrity, it's trust. It's, I mean, it's all those big buzzwords that you would hear, but we really stand behind it. So a customer or a client that comes in that doesn't, that shows up transactional and not relational, that's not for us. And that would have been something early on that I think would have been very impactful. And then really getting your branding and your value proposition. And I know, again, these are all really big buzzwords, but you know, can you really, can every employee in your, in your company say what those are? It just makes it a lot easier when you're very clear and you've, you've taken the time, not just on the business plan, not just on the P&L, not just on the, the numbers and dollars. And so anybody can throw up a tax ID number and start a business. <laughs> that's not, that's the easy part. The hard part is to, what do you stand for? What do you want your business's legacy to be? And then who do you hire to continue because you can't do it as a, as a solo entrepreneur for very long if in you know you've got to figure out a way to scale through technology or through people what are you going to do to scale and bring on those people that are going to deepen that cultural bed and, and that's doing this for this you know kind of third time now it's a lot clearer um i don't know if you can shorten it because again school of hard knocks is you know now i know to not do that the wrong way but I really think there's a lot of truth in the core values and the ability to be very, very clear. I took, I mean, literally 30 days with this new company where I hired people to come in and help me get clear. And I thought I was, and it was very telling for them to whiteboard out what the business strategy was going to be, what the core values are. Now we're lost, but uh, that would be my biggest suggestion. Take some time. You don't have to hire somebody if you're very, you know, but get quiet be very clear and focus on what you, and don't, don't move the model until you have to. Yeah. Well, and, and part of the shortening the timeline, not necessarily for you, but for others is doing what you're offering now through mentorship is people learning from what you've totally. gone through. So they don't have to go through every step of the school of hard knocks that you did. They can skip ahead a little right. bit. No, I think that, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Then I, I, talked to a, a, a couple of folks over dinner a few nights ago, just on that. And, and they said, you know, do I have to do it? And of course they're like, we don't want to do it as long as you did it. And I'm like, I don't want you to, but um, I said, find a mentor, find a network and right. carve out time in your schedule to really be very clear. And I'm not talking about with the, you know, TV going or with, you know, podcasts going, no, no, with all due respect to, to you guys and the podcast, no, that's right. but get quiet. I mean, get really quiet there in our, in our world of so much busyness. And especially now with, with COVID, there's more noise than ever. Um, I think the leaders that are going to step into the chair in the future are the ones that are going to take time and turn everything off and really get focused. 
uh, and there's just some real energy behind how to get that done effectively. So that, that to, to your question, Gary, I think that shortens the curve. I think you nailed it, quite frankly, and you articulated it extremely well. Robert Fish, who is a former partner of mine, and he is our business coach, um, he, and he's now the first guy to be pro in mountain bike racing at age 50. He was the first guy in the nation wow. to do it at 40. And he's competing against 20 year olds, which is amazing. But he said, awesome. and the reason I say that is he says, you got to slow the race down. There are times where you got to slow the race down in order to accelerate, which seems right. counterintuitive. But what you said is exactly it, where you've got to get quiet, get honest with yourself what do you stand for? And, and that's why every good coaching program, whether it be EOS or whether it be scaling up or whatever, they start with that. What right. is your, what are your core values? What's your purpose? Where are you going? Because those things determine who you hire and fire, you know, totally, absolutely. And then getting, you know, what's your company what, what's driving your company? That's the purpose. And it kind of goes back to even what you said early on where I got called into it. And it was because you, mm -hmm. you nailed, you said, is my grandfather, who's the smartest guy, you know, uh, aerospace engineer, and yet he couldn't navigate the healthcare system. And so like, wow. Right. Um, so anybody listening that is super, super, super important. Getting quiet and 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 nailing, and then finding somebody outside. As another friend says, it's hard to read the label when you're inside the jar. Ha having somebody <laughs> outside <laughs> be able to help you read the label, and you've totally. done that. You've done that. Right. Yeah. No, I think I think uh, I, that is a huge part. Gary is not being too being vulnerable enough and not being too nervous to, to invite people in because that's when the good stuff happens. Uh, and it, it doesn't always feel good, right? But that's when you make the big, the big shifts is when you, you think you're self-aware until you realize you're not <laughs> to your point. So um, no, I, I highly encourage, I've had coaches my whole career. I, I'm a huge fan of EOS. I'm a huge fan of Vistage. I'm a huge fan of, and again, similar to Ben's question about mentoring, it doesn't have to be formal, but if you need the discipline behind the formality to join a group and that will make you show up. I mean, everybody's different, right? It depends on what your preference is, but you have to know thyself first. Uh, and that's, I think the biggest thing. Uh, so no, I completely, as a matter of fact, I, I think there's more people looking now than there ever have been on the business and on, on my personal life. But, and you would think the opposite, right? As you get older and you kind of get more sure, you're just like, I don't need help but it's the absolute opposite i invite people in you know because it makes all the difference in the world if you want to move slowly go it alone right if you want to move quickly invite people to the table for the ride it's more fun that way anyway i, I want to fast forward a little bit um leading up to to selling your business so can you first paint the picture of where you were prior to any of the business sale conversations coming up I, sorry, Ben. Just say the last part of it. I missed. I missed the last part of the question. Oh I yeah, no, no. So just paint the picture of of where you and where the business were prior to any of the business sale conversations coming up. Yeah. So I I was I tell you for starting a business, and I think that's why I'm so bullish on entrepreneurial uh, efforts and events. 
um, I got so lucky. I mean, I, there was a passion behind solving for patient care outcomes. I, I mentioned that early on. That was always the passion. And again, with your core values, when you're tired and you're an entrepreneur, and you're not ready to move forward. And you don't want to do it. You don't want to get on another plane. That's the stuff that kept being the true north. Um, but I got lucky. I found two other businesses, not not partners per se, but two other businesses that complemented the business model. And so I was fortunate enough to uh, start to create strategic alliances with the largest data analytics platform in the space I was playing in and the largest group purchasing organization in the space I was playing in. And one of the coolest things we did was go around the country and create education programs for specialty community-based groups that really, I mentioned, you know, helping Mr. Jones get to his son's wedding and how, you know, creating better patient care models would do that. That was one of the things we started doing. So again, I was traveling like crazy, but the amazing thing was I was at the front line of care in the majority of the community-based groups in the country in that specialty. So it's fascinating. You could see themes and it was really uh, it was an awesome business from that standpoint. And then doing a lot of strategy and market research towards what was coming in the pipeline, you know, what was coming down the road uh, in the cancer space. So, uh, you know, that was kind of where I was, where I was as a business owner, I was still trying to figure it out. I mean, I was still trying to figure out, do I stay independent? What does this look like five, 10 years from now? Do I need to hire people? How do I scale this thing? I wasn't thinking I was going to sell, but, you know, I, I know people start a business and they think they're building it to sell sometimes, but that wasn't initially at all my thought process. I was just trying to build the best business I could with the best model to create better patient care nationally. Um, so that was kind of the mindset at the time. So that, that wasn't the initial outlay, but at any point in that business, was that ever a goal of yours of getting it to the point of being able to selling or, or not really at all? You know, I, I hate to say not initially, but not not with the first business. I, it really, um, it really was. I mean, I think it was one of those with the mindset I had at the time. It was, hey, maybe a decade from now, I'll think about transitioning this somewhere. But it just wasn't. I wasn't standing it up to sell the company at that point. If the right suitor had come along, which is ultimately what happened, um, absolutely. You know, would have would have entertained conversations. I wouldn't have said no, but. Uh, I just was too deep in the weeds to be thinking at that point at the level of, hey, let's sell this. I was, I was way too deep in the weeds of the, of the market research and the strategy and the travel. Mm -hmm. So you just mentioned it. So I'm going to piggyback off of that of the right suitor actually coming. So uh, take the listeners through how that actually came about for you. Yeah, so I was, again, very fortunate. Uh, you know, unlike me, one of the other CEOs, I mentioned the partnership and the strategic alliance with the other two companies. One of the other CEOs was very adept at knew exactly how to sell a business, had sold businesses before. So, you know, that I was very in a very real way. And there were so many synergies. We were already doing it. We just weren't under one holding company or one tax ID number. We were already working together very strategically. Uh, and there was, it clicked, right? It was just, it was like, oh, sure. The question became, you know, if you're going to do it with ourselves, if you're going to stay independent, which is, wasn't, again, something that we were all opposed to, but how do you scale? How quickly can you scale? Uh, is the market going to warrant the ability to run this thing for 20 years? You know, all the questions you would ask as a business owner. So 
Um, that's ultimately what ended up happening is we were very fortunate that the right suitor came along. Kind of an interesting side note, but we thought about going out a year earlier than we did. And we actually pulled back and said, you know, we're not ready yet. I mean, it's so it, you know, there were there were some interesting things on the way to it, Ben, that's probably much longer than than a podcast would warrant, but <laughs> there's an art of the deal. There's an art of the story behind it. it wasn't just, hey, let's throw this thing out and see what sticks. It was a very, uh, a very educated thought process towards that. But I have to give a lot of credit to the other CEO because especially the first uh, sale or the first to market, that's something where you, you know, you really need to know kind of what you're doing or have a really strong mentor or an investment bank ahead of you to know which direction to go. Uh, because there is an art of the deal that's much different from just, hey, the day to day of running your company. Yeah. yeah. I, I got a question for you. So you, you, you pulled together the strategic alliance, which I could see you doing that. It's clear that you you like a team win, right? And I can relate to that. Um, did you formalize it as a joint venture or was it just a, you know, handshake strategic alliance? It, you know, it wasn't a handshake. I mean, there were, there were obviously con contractual, I mean, relations. We had, sure. we had businesses that, that we, and, and the interesting thing was, Gary, we had kind of one customer base. So we were serving the same customer. We were just serving that customer in different facets and categories. So, um, it, it, but it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't an exclusivity type of deal where, you know, we had other clients, we had other businesses uh, running on the side, but we did definitely have, um, we'd ha I, I would say we had a prenup. <laughs> it wasn't a full marriage, but we had a prenup already in the works. So, yeah. uh, and, and it, when it works, I will, I will tell this because I, I teach a lot now on mergers and acquisitions and also on selling uh, businesses. And one of the things I, it, I heard, I saw Ben kind of smile when I said prenup, but it really is like that. I think that was the thing. All of the employees and the leadership of all three businesses were just so lockstep, even though we didn't have some formal, formal arrangement, we got along so well, we traveled together. I mean, it, so it was just, it was not something that was a major jump for us to think about marrying the entity together. Very cool. And so when the acquisition, when the suitors started knocking, um, you said, close, but let's, let's wait, um, which is interesting because that even makes them want you more. <laughs> but um, did all three groups then come together and did they acquire all three? At, they got kind mm -hmm. of a three for, you know, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think the, you know, the, the earlier kind of go out wasn't just a, we're not ready. It also has to be the right cultural fit. There's a lot yes. more you know, and I, I, I teach this now a lot. I and mean, just because you look back and realize kind of depends point all the things that you wish you would have known. Um, there's a lot where, you know, it's not just about the zeros in the bank account or the transaction or the security of a parent company partner. It has to be the right fit culturally. It has to be the right synergies where you, you know, it's one thing to kind of strategically work together. It's another to say one plus one plus one equals 12. Um, and so that that's really critical. And as a business owner, you, you really have to take a step back. Wow, by the way, you're running your company yeah. uh, and, and make sure that that doesn't solve it. There's a very big part of that. And since then, I've seen so many mergers, not just not just my businesses, but uh, I've taken a lot of clients through mergers and there's good ones and there's bad ones. You know, I've seen yeah. 
some ones that are amazing and then other ones that I'm like, you guys don't like each other. You shouldn't get married. <laughs> you don't come from the same backgrounds. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're, and it, it doesn't work. So uh, there's a real art of the deal that I didn't have the understanding of. I very much got lucky. Uh, I mean, and I can't say that enough. I was incredibly fortunate that it was a great fit. So one other question about that deal that you, you, you walked away from, was it the same company that came back and eventually bought you or was it, was it different? And so it was different. Yeah. Okay. Different than the, than the original one. Yeah. We, um, you know, we, we were very fortunate to, to kind of think through the strategy that second year and what we were going to do and who the right suitor would be. Um, and, uh, you know, again, hard to explain on a podcast, just the hours of, of kind of meeting with people and going through the discussions about the business that it was very clear that the second suitor was going to have the right culture, but also was going to be the right, uh, the right strategic fit long-term. So one more point of uh, emphasis, cultural compatibility or Huge. lack thereof is the most critical uh, factor for every acquisition. And believe it or not, I don't know that there is such a thing as a merger, really. I, I right. mean, maybe, but somebody's acquiring somebody and there better be a good cultural fit because that's the number one thing that blows it up. And it's the last thing that a lot of the deal people are thinking about. Yeah. No, it's, you know, I think that's the, the most interesting thing uh, about it. And you're right, Gary. I mean, it, that's, that's the part that I always drive back when I'm talking to any of the clients about their, their you know, everybody wants to get married. And the, the challenge right now is the market is moving so fast uh, that there, you know, people want to force the marriage and um, it's like, hey, sign the prenup and we'll be betrothed at the, offer, uh, the altar, you know, Saturday of next weekend. It's like, date. I mean, take some time. This is your business. You know, it's it very, it, you know, you're changing, you're sharing assets, you're sharing balance sheets. Um, it's, it's a really big deal. So no, I can't stress that enough. That's the mergers that I've seen that have taken root and done really well. The culture and the leadership is solid before they go in because it's going to stress the business. No matter how good it is, it's still going to stress the business. Yeah. Well, and you've, you've talked about self-awareness a few times and clearly you and the other companies had that, that self-awareness and that discipline to not just jump into a deal because there was something on the table, right? You right. had the discipline to know what was going to be the right fit, what was the right type of scenario to sell. And then when the right suitor came along, you were able to take advantage of it. Um, totally. Through your own experience and through uh, the other mergers and acquisitions that, that you've you've said you've worked with and helped people with on top of the things that we've already mentioned, right? The, the things like self-awareness and the things like making sure the cultural fit is the same. Um, what are some of those other things that you would suggest to somebody who's a business owner and they're thinking of selling all or part of, of their business? Yeah. So, you know, as a, as a business owner, I think the, the thing then is you're used to waking up in the morning and you're kind of in control of everything right you think you're and in that control anyway. with you <laughs> you think right you think you're in control but but you have to be willing it becomes even more about the greater good than it does about your agenda initiatives you know you think about even the story i just told we had three ceos come together at one time and form a new company 
who's going to lead? Who's going to be the alpha? Are you all the alpha? If you are, how are you going to make a decision? Yeah. Um, if it's two against one, how do you smooth the waters on the, the next day over coffee? You know, there's a big part of that. Uh, and then you're going to scale. So it's all about, again, revisiting the culture. What if your values, I mentioned how critical those core values are. What if CEO A's values and CEO B's values or the parent company's values aren't in line? You know, to Gary's point, what if it's a more transactional merger and you're used to not being transactional. Um, there's a lot of things that the art of the deal is a very real thing, uh, but I, it's huge leadership, huge culture. Um, and then really being able to come in and think about what's the best thing for the greater good of the business, not just the greater good of CEO A or of, you know, people, people dive deep into their logos and that they're, I mean, there's certain things that people are in, what if they change your logo without you know, did you, did your brother develop that and you're completely passionate about the way it looks and all of a sudden now it's not yours anymore. You, you have to be willing to think about the greater good of why you're selling and what ultimately you're, you want to gain out of it. Um, and there's nothing, you don't have to sell. I mean, I have this conversation every other day. If you're going to stay independent, though, you have to have a very solid plan. You have to think about what you want to do, and you have to be willing to dip into your own pocket or financially create enough revenue to scale the business through that end. But um, I really, the, the, that is the massive piece is, is the leadership and culture piece. Mm -hmm. uh, as you scale, as you merge on new entities or new people, <laughs> do they have the same values? Uh, when you grow quickly, I think that's the hardest piece is is you both you know you're used to growing as a small entrepreneur two or three people maybe five but you can kind of distill down everything about the business the stories of how it was created the stories of how you call on customers all of a sudden you water some of that down and you don't have a playbook or systems in place to distill it down or you know you're, it's a lot harder than uh, than you think you know it's uh and it's not just small businesses it's you see this at the corporate corporate level is big mergers take root it's this you know 800 pound gorilla meets 800 pound gorilla who wins and what's the ultimate brand and business value prop that's going to move forward yeah Perfect. so the fact that you had three ceos i mean that's a um exponential uh exponentially more difficult than just having one <laughs> like on two sides you had one and three one on you know that side of the the acquiring side and three on this side, which is really unbelievable. I mean, that's a high degree of difficulty dive right there. But um, talk to us about what that transition plan was like. You know, like who who took the lead? What was the you know how long did you have to stay into the business? You know, I, I know I, I know enough of your story, so you, you tell it, but I want to hear a little bit more of that progression. Yeah, you know, the, I, I, it was pretty clear kind of from the org chart. You don't just sell a business and all of a sudden, you know, you, you put a lot of time into the transition plan, what the org chart's going to look like, what the future's going to look like, because you're not just building it to sell it and then walk away. You're building it to sell it and grow it further. So a lot of the logistics, Gary, were very much written down or in place. That part's the easy part. Again, kind of like starting a business and writing the business plan. The first six months after any deal transacts or happens, and again, not just mine, the ones I've also overseen, there's just a shifting of the waters of, you know, how are we going to kind of put this thing in play? Okay, this is the new org chart. 
What are we going to do to work together? Uh, and then new initiatives. We had a lot of new initiatives in the sale that we had pitched forward of, hey, this is, if we do get acquired, this is the growth plan. You know, what are you going to do to basically execute on that growth plan? And it's very different. It's, a, it's not a good thing or a bad thing, but there's a higher level of accountability when you've brought in a parent company partner because you know, you can't just sit in the coffee room the next day and be like, hey, you know, I know we committed to that, but let's just push it off a week. You now have, you now have a parent watch it. It's like, hey, what's happening on Tuesday? You guys. So, you know, the first six months it was kind of, and having gone through two transactions now, the first six months after, I tell a lot of CEOs, just that's when you just ground your team, settle the waters, put the right butts in the right seats and follow the strategy. And the more you bounce around on the first six months, it's just people are trying to get used to the new normal. Um, we were very lucky. They're just, I don't remember, you know, this is going back now to 18, 2018, but it wasn't, I don't remember it being this massive change or transition. We were so used to working together. It just so happened we had a new, you know, parent company or a new holding company that we were aligned with. So that part of it, we were very lucky because the three CEOs, there was there was somewhat of an alpha CEO of the three of us who had done this type of thing before. So we were lucky enough to have him as a guidepost. Uh, and then all of us just kind of fell in line. But it we, again, I, you know, date as long as you can because we had dated for so long by the time it was actually inked, there's still always nervousness attached to the marriage, right? They're just, that's just life. But it wasn't this massive shift of, oh my goodness, now we're bolting on three businesses that have never broken bread together. We had we'd spent so much time aligning the businesses. It really wasn't that big of a shift. So I want to take us a little bit of a different direction before we wrap up, um, just because, and this is also partially selfish because I'm interested in it. Um, talk, let's go down the being the, an author and a keynote speaker and things like that. So was writing and or speaking, was that something that you'd always done and enjoyed even prior to entrepreneurship? Yes and no, Ben. I journaled as a kid every day. As a matter of fact, I, I, this is, I probably shouldn't say this because people think I'm vain. But I, so as a kid in junior high, I would even write down what outfit I had worn in my journal so I didn't repeat the outfit too many times. <laughs> this journal with like a fashion bent. Um, and I'm not, I can't even tell you where my mind was at that point, but I would write down my outfits. It was cute. But I, I journaled as a kid for hours and would read for hours. But, mm -hmm. you know, my first uh, book, which is terrible, by the way, if anybody looks it up, it's, it's off. But when my grandfather got diagnosed with prostate cancer to bring it back, uh, and we sat down at the kitchen table and he, by the way, he outlived his prostate cancer and lived a great life. But um, we went through the package insert of every drug. And I was so moved with the fact that he could not navigate his care. And he's so super smart that I went back and actually sat down and for the next six months wrote my first book. And it was all about navigating the patient through that. It was written like a travel guide where the patient would go to the medical clinic and what to ask and where to go. Like he would read a Fromer's or a Fodor's travel guide. But um, there was something where I just couldn't die with the music in me. And that to me was, it, you know, it wasn't a bestseller by any stretch, but that's what started the writing. Uh, and then I started doing market research and I was scared to death, to be honest with you, uh, of keynote speaking. I, I, I hated it. I didn't enjoy it. I, being on stage to me was too much spotlight on me. Um, but when I was teaching the market research, and it was helping people get educated about how to move their patient care models forward. 
it, I could stand on stage in front of 2 million people because it was something much bigger than myself that I was teaching. Um, so no, it totally, it, all of the speaking and writing came surely from just a passion that I couldn't tamp down. And then the deals just kept showing up. I mean, and again, it was, do you want to write an article? And I'd say, sure. And then we'd go figure out how to do it. Or do you want to stand on stage and teach X, Y, or Z? But um, it's a funny story. One of the first speaking engagements I did, I was asked if I could speech on, speak on physician compensation models in front of a massive audience. And I had, at that point, almost no, I mean, I was very naive. And I remember sitting there going, oh my goodness, please don't ask too many questions because they're going to realize the emperor has no clothes. Like I knew enough, but I knew enough to be dangerous. And I knew enough to help moderate the audience members. So they actually started teaching each other rather than just the spotlight being on me. But yeah, no, anybody who tells you they just showed up and they were a great keynote speaker. No, a <laughs> um, lot of practice in the mirror, a lot of, you know, note cards at night. Uh, but it was always a bigger obligation to teach than it was to stand on stage and have it be, you know, about me or uh, as a matter of fact, it was always more uncomfortable to tell the story of my stuff versus teaching about the market research. I loved that part of showing up on stage and helping people get educated. Again, another scenario of you being pulled into something. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could, yeah, no, no major vision here, just failing forward all the way to the dance. But no, it's uh, just say yes. I mean, I, I'm asked all the time by younger, a lot of young women, just because of, you know, obviously there, there are a ton of women business owners who have sold companies and what have you, uh, but just fail forward, just show up. I mean, it's really, that's part of it. Just show up. And if you, if you care enough about the audience or about your client base and you're close enough to attention to detail as possible, you're going to be fine, you know, so just show up. I mean, it's, it's really, that's just part of it. Uh, but yeah, no, never thought about keynote speaking or writing. Uh, it just kind of found me. You just, you practiced a lot with your, uh, your outfits though. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, right, exactly with the outfit. Don't wear the blazer on stage that you wore last night. No, exactly. Yeah, there were a lot of late nights in the mirror of practicing and practicing and practicing. Um, so anyway, it's fun. You know, it's funny. Think back through some of our previous guests, Ben. Jeffrey Gittimer, one of the most pro prolific writers, and yet he never set out to be a writer. Yeah. He just had a love for learning. And he still does, which is really interesting. And then you think about like, I think about Brandy Malazzo, who you and Brandy Malazzo have gone deeper and more insightful on deals than anybody else. And it's not to discount anybody else. Everybody has amazing stories and they've been fantastic. But you guys have gone deep into that, which I think is really interesting too. You've had some very, very powerful insights that I wish every deal person or thinking about a deal would listen to. So your this podcast as well as uh, Brandy Malazzo's, but um, so and you were doing these daily practices from writing in your journal entries about you know your outfits and all that kind of stuff, which I think is really. <laughs> cool. But then, right? uh, approximately, how old were you when you? you couldn't help yourself. You said, you know, couldn't keep the music in you on writing that book. How, uh, approximately how old were you? Yeah, I was mid twenties, Gary, at that point. I was 25 when I, wow. or 26, maybe when I really 
um, there, there was something, you know, it was interesting because I was so lucky to be able to work for J and J at the time, but I would go into medical practices at the back in the day. And I was a student of, and this is a good lesson, I guess, just in general, but I was a student of the patient journey and patient logistics and what was working and what wasn't. And then when it became personal with my grandfather, um, I, I, I had seen the system at an intimate yeah. level. Right. And that, I think that was true of everything from China to the patient piece with J and J all the way through, even the, the business I want, it was, it was paying attention and really being a student at the blades of grass level, not the lawn level of where the challenges lie. And so when my grandfather went through it, it was like, you know what, I can help you navigate through this. And if I can help you, you know, it's that old starfish thing where you <laughs> save one starfish by throwing it back into the ocean. You might not save them all, but you can save one and it matters to that one starfish. Yeah. Um, that really was the beginning of a 20-year a career now. I mean, but of, of really looking granularly at the blades of grass levels, how to make a difference. And this this was this is so good. I had high expectations, but you you cleared the bar by a long oh, you're shot. Kind. Thank <laughs> you. You're very kind. I appreciate that more than you know. I you know you guys make it easy, make it very easy to talk to. And Gary Gary and I felt that Ben literally we got on the phone the first time. I think we talked for an hour and twenty five minutes. <laughs> we, we both were like, oh wait, we we both have to go and actually do yeah. something productive yeah. besides just shooting the breeze. So but, I yeah no it's great. Gary Gary and I met. Uh, he came on a podcast of that I was doing on my own probably like four years ago at this point. He came up to my oh, office wow. and I think we talked for 30 or 40 minutes. Yeah. And then we're like, oh, well, we should probably start the podcast. Did the episode <laughs> and talk for another 30 or 40 minutes. Cool. After. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's really neat. That's very cool. Good for you guys. Now you have a good thing. It's neat to, you don't always see podcasts with two co-hosts. And I think it's a really unique model. Um, it's great that you guys can obviously play off of each other and that, that synergy works, but it, it adds a new dimension to it versus just a one-way interview. I think that's really unique. Yeah. Thanks. It's, it's Ben's fun. Idea. And I was just happy to come along and, and it fits me because I, I run faster when I'm part of a relay. I swim faster. Right? I swim my fastest splits okay. always on the relays because I wanted to win as a team. The podium finish by myself really doesn't matter. To me, right. To other people, right. but it really doesn't to me. So, yeah, Ben's a great teammate, and uh, you know he's almost half my age, and I I learned so much from him. So it's really cool. <laughs> That's well, neat. That's very cool. Well, we will link everything in in show notes and in our posts to your socials. But is there anything else that you want to uh, to tell people as we sign off here? You know, Ben, I. <laughs> I just think coming off of last year, a lot of people are revisiting who they are, what they believe in. Do they want to go back to the job that didn't serve them or, you know, they want to spend more time with their families. And uh, I just think there's a really unique opportunity. I think we're on the brink of the next biggest innovation in the history of our world because people are digging deep into those core values I talked about early on. So no, I mean, one, anybody who wants to reach out, I, I love mentoring, I mentioned, I love talking one-on-one. -on -one. If anybody wants to know more about the stories, there's a lot more to them than just the podcast uh, discussion, but uh, to, you know, be true to yourself and just keep, you know, trust, but verify, but keep digging in deep because there's some really good stuff. I think that's going to happen in 2021 and 2022, um, very bullish on the future. So um, no, really appreciate you guys 
doing things like this podcast, I think these are the things that propel people to really dig deep and make a difference. Uh, so no, can't say thank you enough for allowing me to participate and be on board. Well, thank you for sharing. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank Likewise. you, Dana. <laughs>